Well, hello everyone. It's me, Mick Sullivan, and this is The Past and the Curious. It's a show that I do for you, I hope. I hope you enjoy it. I'm glad you're here. This is the second installment of our 14-part series <laughs> called The Underwear Chronicles. This installment features Marie Antoinette, the very famous queen of France, though she was not French, as you'll learn. Um, two important details I just want to point out. Um, there is a smallpox epidemic that is going to make a small appearance in this episode, and one pretty gross way to get it, supposedly. Um, and also, uh, you can't talk about Marie Antoinette and King Louis, her husband, without talking about the French Revolution. And um, just a heads up, the French Revolution got a little choppy when it came to heads. So I have to mention it. It's going to come up. Uh, hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Once upon a time, royal families lived incredibly, ridiculously very public lives. Any given palace was filled with courtiers who were usually privileged, rich, and eager to get FaceTime with the royalty. These people lived among the royals in a splendor that they probably didn't deserve, and to make matters worse, most of these courtiers had rights of entry, which meant that they could watch the king or queen do pretty much anything. These privileges include, but are not limited to, watching a monarch get into their underwear, bathe, not that bathing was very common, and even give birth. Why this was desirable is not easy to understand today. But let's just all agree that life and privacy was very different back then. Maria Theresa, the empress of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was having none of that nonsense, though. She was a brilliantly powerful woman who eventually gave birth to 16 children, all of whom she regarded as giant diaper-wearing game pieces for her lifelong game of international royal family chess. In her plan, each child slash chess piece would be married off to other royal courts when they reached the maturity of their teenage years. The arranged marriages would extend the influence and power of her royal Habsburg family. Most of her kids were born to a room full of witnesses, but by the time her penultimate or second to last child was born, she was done with birthing in front of a live studio audience. She finally decided that those nosy neighbors would have to wait outside. This daughter, now known to us as Marie Antoinette, was born in relative peace and quiet. But it was pretty much the last time that she'd ever enjoy privacy from the eyes of royal courtiers. In fact, it would get much, much worse from then on for poor Marie. No one really expected much out of Marie Antoinette. To be fair, it's hard to get much attention when you're the 15th child. She wasn't really challenged with an education, and she didn't really like to read or write, but music excited her, and she became a very good pianist. It is said that she won the heart of Mozart when they were both youngsters. Her happy childhood in Vienna ended, though, when her father died on a trip. Not too long after, the disease smallpox proved that it could devastate a royal family just as easily as it could punish a family of peasants. When her brother's wife died from the disease, Maria Theresa took Marie Antoinette's older sister down to the tomb to pay respects. Turns out, the tomb wasn't completely sealed. 
So this sister ended up getting smallpox from her sister-in-law's dead body. Talk about gross and a terrible last gift. When the disease claimed the life of Marie's older sister, it threw Maria Teresa's plans out of whack. This sister, one of eight, was supposed to be marrying a young prince in Spain. So all of Maria Teresa's daughters moved up a notch. The upset order of arranged marriages changed everyone's plans, and after every girl was assigned a new husband-to-be in the matrimonial lottery, Marie Antoinette learned that she'd be marrying an awkward young man in France who would someday be king of the powerful nation. He was then known as Louis Auguste, but someday he'd be Louis XVI. When it came time for her to leave her palace in Vienna and head to her new home and husband in France, there were so many carriages, people, and horses in the procession that it was like an entire city was traveling across the countryside. As the future queen of France, the fanciest carriage of all was hers, of course. Every little thing inside was trimmed in velvet and gold, including her commode and bidet. As always, a crowd of people watched her use those on a daily basis. Being used to the peering eyes during these private moments soon came in handy. When they arrived at the French border, the caravan of carriages was met by an equally large French fleet for the official handoff of the bride-to-be. Like a human baton in a royal relay race, the 14-year-old girl would pass from country to country, only crossing the finish line at the magnificent Palace of Versailles. Unlike a race, though, no one was really in a hurry. Literally everything in these days required an elaborate ceremony. And this would be no different. On an island in the Rhine River, she slowly stepped away from the hundreds of people who had brought her and towards the hundreds of people who awaited. Then she took off her clothes all of them. It's like that dream that we've all had where you go to school in your underwear, except instead of school, it was a royal court. And instead of a dream, it was, well, it was real. The ceremony would symbolize the end of her Austrian life. She would be purely French now, as if it were that easy to change one's heritage. She could have no Austrian jewelry, no Austrian makeup, no Austrian dress, and no Austrian underwear. Her underwear and everything else would be French from this moment on. Hundreds of eyes watched as someone brought her French-made replacements and waited patiently as she put it all on. There was a chemise, a white linen dress undergarment, then a corset, which tightened around her torso like a big boa constrictor. And inside the fabric of the corset were whale bones, And when the laces were cinched, the contraption squeezed all of the air out of her, squishing her organs like sausage in a casing. She hated it. It didn't get any better with the giant forms beneath her skirt and panniers, which were giant cages that tied to her hips and protruded just off each side. The saying, beauty is pain, might actually be an incomplete saying. The full thing could more accurately be, beauty is pain, and never being able to get comfortable and not even being able to fit easily through a doorway. A few days later, when she met her husband, sparks were not flying. Marie didn't find the 15-year-old boy particularly attractive, and he was pretty awkward in general. He wasn't terribly excited either. In his journal, the only thing he wrote about that fateful day was, Met the Dauphine today. 
not a real charmer. To be fair, he was still practically a child like Marie, so the idea of having to get married probably scared him out of his wits. On the morning of their wedding, Marie stood shivering in the cold, drafty room that had most recently belonged to her husband's now-deceased mother. As the Dauphine, she had to show patience and kindness on her face. But her head was probably swimming with curse words that she wished she could hurl at the group of attending ladies, known as her ladies-in-waiting. Why were they called ladies-in-waiting, she probably wondered, Marie Antoinette was the one doing all of the waiting around. It took hours to get ready. They slowly piled her hair high on her head and powdered it like a big furry donut. And then they slathered her face and makeup and rouged her cheeks. Then, finally, they put some underwear on her. A shift that was tied with lace, as well as the rest of her understructure, that would seem to inflate her dress like one of those balloons from Thanksgiving Day parades. And then came the dress. Since her mother-in-law was dead, Marie would be the most important woman in French court. And despite being a stranger to France, she was to be queen. So all eyes were watching her. Her wedding dress had to be incredible. And it was. There was just one small problem, though. The dressmaker made it before Marie had arrived from Austria. She had never actually sat for a fitting, and as a result, it was a little too small. Despite her slender build and a team of women pulling in all directions, the back of her dress could not be closed, and this left a little bit of her underwear peeking out. There were many caddy courtiers in attendance who were eager to watch her embarrass herself, and poor Marie's exposed underwear couldn't have made them any happier. Years later, when Louis's grandfather died, the inevitable happened. Louis never wanted to be king, and he hoped his father and two older brothers would wear the crown instead. But they, like many other family members in this story, croaked before they could. Marie was okay with it. As the queen, she was a celebrity living a life of luxury, splendor, and fine fashion. The Palace of Versailles had 1,100 rooms. This never-ending maze of halls and walls did make it hard to find a restroom. As a result, many of those otherwise fancy rooms smelled really, really bad. See, if you couldn't find the restroom, it was not uncommon for people to just relieve themselves in the most convenient place. Because of this, and plenty of other reasons, she spent most of her time in her own separate private house on the land. Still, she hated waiting for the ladies-in-waiting to finish arguing about who got to wash her feet and who got to tie her corset. In fact, she got sick of wearing corsets altogether. When she paraded with friends around the garden in her shift, which was basically a plain cotton underdress, people started talking. Oh my. But when she wore that same underdress to an official court function, the talking grew louder. This wasn't just a rejection of customs. This was undignified. All those fancy noble heads underneath fancy hats 
practically exploded over the queen, basically wearing her underwear in public. <laughs> now to us today, it would look like a plain white billowy dress, but to the people of her world, it was underwear. It was something to be worn between her perfume-laden body and her fine French fabric dress. But Marie didn't care. In fact, she had a portrait painted of herself wearing the cotton shift, so now anyone and everyone could see it. Despite the uproar her underdress painting caused, the attention it garnered helped inspire other women to dress more simply. She was a trendsetter, after all, and maybe deep down, other ladies hated wearing an entire closet's worth of fabric every day, too. So the feedback wasn't all bad. French women's fashion got simpler and easier for a period of time. But this wasn't really what the citizens of France were worried about. While Marie was complaining about waiting for her ladies to tend to her daily routine, and while the royal courtiers were just complaining about Marie, citizens of France were complaining about real problems. They didn't have any food or money. Several harsh winters left the peasants with no crops. They didn't even have the basics to bake bread. Understandably, they got really angry when they thought about Marie and Louis and the rest of the courtiers living in extravagance. When the revolting peasants first stormed the palace, the mob just ransacked the place while the royal family was able to escape. Not long after, though, things got out of hand. The people behind the French Revolution wanted to end the rule of kings and give power to the citizens. Inspired by the American Revolution, which Marie's husband, King Louis XVI, had ironically helped pay for, the French citizens wouldn't rest until they had a democracy. Part of not resting meant cutting off a bunch of heads, with a newfangled head chopper offer known as the guillotine. King Louis was a victim of this device. His head fell into a basket months before Marie would know her own fate. She languished in prison during that time and was finally rolled to the gallows before a crowd in her cotton underdress. It was much like the one she wore to scandalize the nobility. Royal heads come off just as easily as anyone else's, and Marie's was no different. The rebels threw her into an unmarked grave near her husband. And years later, after a man named Napoleon met his doom, the French monarchy returned and Louis' younger brother was crowned the king. The unmarked graves of his brother and sister-in-law, which sat amongst mere peasants and other less important but headless nobles, bothered him greatly. So he had them dug up and reburied. It's rumored that the gravediggers were able to identify Marie Antoinette's body by the very specific stitching of her underwear. Thank you for listening, everyone. That's a story of Marie Antoinette. So I have some birthday people that I need to, to thank uh, and say happy birthday to. They're both late birthdays. Um, Ruben and Brunello, uh, who are the subject of one of my favorite songs that I've written for this show. Ruben and Brunello, happy birthday to you. Uh, hope things are well in your part of the world. And uh, Liam in Alexandria, Virginia. Liam, I hear that you have listened to every episode, and that's amazing, and it makes me feel very happy. 
Uh, and I'm glad that I can be a part of your life in a tiny little way. Happy birthday to you. Uh, Alexandria, Virginia is a very cool place. And actually, I have a story coming up in early 2022. Um, maybe February, maybe March. I don't know, somewhere around there that is actually going to take place in Alexandria, Virginia. So you might appreciate that. Happy birthday to you. Um, anyone else out there who has a birthday, happy birthday to you. Uh, and uh, I should have a new episode out before the new year. So look forward to that, and I'll talk to you soon. My name is Mick Sullivan. This has been The Past and the Curious. My best to all of you.